All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. What an excellent day for an There is no shortage of monsters to haunt our dreams. You go right on your back having to get you, Barbara. Of Oh the Horror. I'm Rob Holmes, and today we're going to be talking about a film that I've wanted to talk about for a long time, but for some reason, you know, never quite got around to. And that is 2012's I Am a Ghost, directed by H.P. Mendoza. Well, I should say written and directed by H.P. Mendoza. This film, I love this movie. I think it is absolutely amazing, so well made. So well done. Fantastic production value. The style that goes into this movie is so much more than what the budget would make you think. Uh, This is a film that was funded on Kickstarter for $10,000. $7,500 of that actually went into the production of the film. And, you know, I guess when you deal with Kickstarter fees and, and also trying to get stuff out to festivals... That's where the rest of your money is going to go. So, for a $7,500 production budget, we end up with a movie that takes place in this Victorian-era house, and the amount of set dressing and set decoration in this and costuming and just... It feels like this was made in the 1960s or the 1970s in the way this movie looks. It is something special. People may not like this because it is a slow burn. It is the epitome of a slow burn. But first, if if you are listening to this and you have not seen the movie, you need to see it immediately. This is not one of those where I would just say, nah, whatever, and spoil it for you. There's just something really cool about seeing this for the first time and then realizing what the budget is for it. And then being like, I don't understand how they were able to put together this film that is so tightly, it's just tightly wound and tightly knit, and it's just so, it's just really, well. I mean, all in all, I just, I, I enjoyed it so much, and I don't want to ruin that for anyone else. Now, I will say it is it is a very slow burn. Now, first off, okay, before, before we get into that, at time of recording, uh, you can watch I Am A Ghost on the Shutter Amazon app or on Tubi TV, and it is... It's free on there. You have to watch commercials or whatever for it, but totally worth it. So if you haven't seen it, watch it immediately and then come back to the podcast. All right, so you're back. Perfect. You just finished the movie. Now, the title card for this, when we go into it, just it blows me away immediately because it evokes this old school style of filmmaking where everything appears on that card. All right, so now that you've seen the film, Hopefully you liked it. If you didn't, I can totally understand why. It's a slow burn. It's repetitive. There's a lot of stuff happening over and over. But I feel like each cycle that you go through with Emily, you're learning more and more throughout. Let's start at the beginning. First off, going through this house and seeing the various images, you, you're you pulled into a world immediately where you know that this is going to be... The house is basically a, a very major character of this film. From there, you know, we get this... Uh, color spectrum reveal and just these like bits of color going over everything and we see this image 
of this figure coming down the stairs, and that's Emily. And right at that point, we get the title card of I'm a Ghost. Boom. It's right there. It is to the point. It's not one of these reveals that you see in a film where it's like, that's the final reveal, like they were ghosts all along. No. This is the movie that's telling you straight up. Boom. Main character, I'm a ghost. That is what she is. And we go from there. That's something I really appreciate about this because it's not its not one where you're wondering, oh, well, she's a ghost. Oh, well, just say it. She's a ghost. Just, I, and then, you know, 30 minutes into the movie, you get the reveal or 45 or whatever. Uh, this, this just goes right off the bat, and I loved that. And the other thing you'll notice about this film is that it has this rounded edge vignette letterboxing, and it combining that with the decor of the house... The full set dressing, the lighting, the filters that are used in it to give it that grainy, aged look, it all comes together in something just really, really gorgeous. It's just a very gorgeous production. So, to start this film out, basically, we're following a ghost named Emily, played by Anna Ashida, who is, I think she's great in this. I think she's absolutely phenomenal. I can see how some people would say the performance is stilted, but given the time that this takes place, at least for her, I'm imagining this is early 1900s, so, you know, there would be more of this prim and proper sounding. It's just, it wouldn't be this lackadaisical, like, modern-day slang and vernacular. So it makes a little more sense in how she speaks. Plus, I think there was a good amount of ADR in this, which is fine especially given the budget and what uh, H.P. Mendoza was able to pull off with this, because it's just, it's mind-blowing when you think of how much time and energy and blood, sweat, and tears really, like, legitimately had to go into making this film. Uh, that's, it's mind-blowing to me. So, it follows this ghost named Emily, who's, basically, she's living out memories of her life over and over and over, and it almost seems like she's living out the same day over and over, Um, So we get flashes in the beginning. We get her waking up, cooking eggs, cleaning, eating, and then pulling a knife up. And it looks like she's about to stab herself, but these cuts are so well-placed. And the music that that moves in with it is so well-placed that it evokes this sense of dread as you're moving through, but the sense of wonder of like, oh, I want to know more about this. Like, this is really interesting. Without having to rely on jump scares, it's more of the... It's the idea behind everything where I feel like it's a mystery that I want to unravel. And and you do as you're, as you're going through it. So we follow, you know, after this, this supposed injury, this hand stabbing, we go to her in a bathroom. Her hand is bandaged. But then we cut to her in a hallway and she's carrying a mop and bucket. And I don't think she has the bandage on then. And, you know, it cuts to her again, no bandage. And then, you know, she as she's holding the mop and bucket, she sees something. She freaks out. She runs. And we, we keep getting this repeated day multiple times. And she hears this voice and she goes into this one room, uh, kind of like a living room area. And she hears this voice calling out to her. And it's Sylvia. She introduces herself. She's a medium who has been hired by the current family that's residing in the house. And she explains to her, hey, I'm a medium and you're dead and you're a ghost. And at first, she doesn't understand what's happening. Uh, She can't remember anything, right? And she explains that, like, every time that Emily leaves the room, and she's tried to contact her 
many, many a times, and she's actually been in touch with her a lot, uh, but every time Emily leaves the room, it breaks the connection, right? And so this bond breaks, and then she can't remember anything. She goes about her days. But when she is reconnected with Sylvia, then she remembers everything. And the first thing she says was, I was murdered. I was murdered by a demon. And Sylvia's like, yes, we know you were murdered. That's what you said. You know, um, she's like, how long have I been dead? And Sylvia says, last time I told you, you ran from the room screaming. So we're assuming this is modern day with the potentially with with the medium talking to her with this family that lives in the house and we're dealing with a ghost from you know the early 1900s or mid 1900s so she doesn't really realize i guess it's a very very long time on how long she's been dead she's straight up a ghost and she's haunting this house so we we are getting a ghost story from a ghost's perspective which is really awesome and some people would say, oh, this is like, well, I'll say spoiler on this because people may not have seen it, but The Others with Nicole Kidman. Yes, it is like The Others, but she knows that she's a ghost the whole time. We're not throwing something in where it's, that's our twist. Oh, okay. No, we, we twist it right in the beginning, and that's... That, I think, takes this and, and puts it on another level. What I also like is that during this medium scene, when she connects in with Sylvia, the camera work is great. There's this slight wobble to it. There's this panning. The, the technique changes to give it this ethereal feel like you are experiencing this convergence of two planes of existence in that moment. Things feel off. But it works so well and it's so subtle that it just adds another element to this film to show that there's a lot of care and planning in, in every single shot and every single moment. It feels like there's not really anything wasted in this. And I think a lot of people could say, yeah, but man, it's really repetitive and it's the same thing over and over. And it's like, yes, but it's telling you a story and it's layer by layer and pulling these back to reveal something larger. And it's a great storytelling technique when you don't have a lot of money to make a feature. You're able to to film some of these scenes and show them from different perspectives. And then you're you're getting further into the story and that. It's just a sign of a really good filmmaker and a really good storyteller. And that's something that makes this film stand out from countless, countless, countless other indie horror films or indie films in general that come out every year. So basically, like, she's having trouble believing that she's a ghost. Even though, you know, we see moments of her saying, oh, I'm going to leave the house and she makes a list and, you know, you see the door to the house open and then there's no nothing there. The door slams and she has all the stuff that she needed with her and she's going about her day not realizing that she, you know, each time that she's left that room and, and broken that bond with Sylvia that you know, she just keeps believing that this is what's going on. She doesn't realize that there's these, like, lapses in time that are going on. Uh, and that's kind of explained to her in this. And she talks about how it's, uh, th these things are imprints in time. They're sense. It's how, 
Uh, this is how her haunting is pretty much described to her by by Sylvia, saying, the stuff that you're doing, you're haunting these, this family's house, you're haunting this family's house, and all the stuff that you're doing is having an effect on the world around them, even though you don't think it is. Uh, but these are your imprints of moments that, uh, that, things that you did on a regular basis. This is just going through the motions, kind of. It's between this, this, this ex- explanation, we're getting these camera movements that are getting stronger and the music's getting stronger and it really i just find that to be super effective and that plays out through a ton of this film it's the really effective use of camera really effective use of music and at this point they talk about closing off and sylvia tells her that like we've talked about it but it's never happened and she says i've done this with plenty of other people like i'm a medium this is what i do for a living she's been able to do this but for some reason she is unable to get Emily to be able to close off so she can move on to the other side. And they've gone through this time and time again. And Emily keeps saying, oh, but no, I'll do this. Uh, no, we can do this. It'll totally work. And then Sylvia's like, you, you've said all of this before. You said you wouldn't run out of the room. And you did before. You said you wouldn't do this. And you did. So she says, no, I'm, I'm going to. You know, I'm gonna do this. Guide me out of here. You know, Sylvia says to Emily, like, "All right, if you're if you're gonna get guided out of here, and I've done this with so many people, so I don't understand why it's not working with you. You have to pass through me in order to leave." Emily is like, "I'm not." Emily's like, "I'm not gonna freak out. I swear to you, I'm not gonna freak out." And she's like, "Well, where do I go?" And Sylvia's like, first Sylvia's like, "Come towards me," and Emily's like, "I can't see you." So Sylvia says, "Well, I'm gonna come towards you." Emily senses this presence moving towards her that she cannot see, and what does she do? She freaks out and runs out of the room, and we go back into that time loop again. So what has happened at this point is we're witnessing what has happened time and time again. Who knows how many times this has happened? So we go back to this time loop. We see different uh, elements going on in this this world uh, in her life, but we're starting to move in a little closer on things. You know, we're starting to kind of see a close-up perspective from her, you know, more in her perspective as we're moving throughout, kind of telling more of this story. At a certain point, we keep going back to this, this self-inflicted stab wound. You know, this is, this is happening, like we see a knife going up, and we, we, this happens a lot of the time, until we finally, eventually, we'll get the, the actual... Uh, payoff of, of seeing it, I guess, is a way to put it. Like, oh, so also, if people are gorehounds, I can understand why they wouldn't want to like this movie either because it's not a violent film. It's not that type of movie. It's it's subtle. It's subdued. It's meant to be about creating atmosphere and tension and strangeness and weirdness and this look into a unique afterlife and goes much deeper than that too, uh, which we'll get to in a little bit. So. Emily, while she, you know, goes through some of the stuff that she's doing, we hear when she's cooking, uh, static coming through the radio, and we hear a voice that goes, it's calling her name, and it goes from this whisper to this very demonic growl-like yell. So it's like, Emily, Emily, it gets really creepy, you know, Um, and now we're getting stuff we're knowing, all right, there's something else going on here. There's something bigger than what we've seen so far. She said she's been murdered by this monster. She was stabbed to death or something by this monster. And now we're hearing this voice. At this point, it could be seen as Emily is a ghost. Was she murdered by a malevolent 
malevolent demonic spirit when she was alive. So now she's a ghost haunting someone, but she's still haunted by a ghost that caused her death. That's where I'm going at this point when I was watching the film for the first time, like, what? Okay, this isn't, there's there's a lot of layers in this. So we've gone from these wide frame shots, we go closer and then we go to, the, go to these close up shots. So we're moving in, things are starting to tighten up. And I think that starts to build a lot of the tension in this film as well. Yeah, it, it can get repetitive, but there are things that change it up. We get a double camera split to see, and then this happens a couple more times where we get to see double splits, uh, I think a nine-way split at one point or something like that. It's really cool. We start to see this radio. Basically what happens is the radio um, frequency as we're going through the day, we hear it again. And now we know that it, every time it happens, it starts to take control of her. We know that we see her go into a trance every time she hears this static. Her day is going normal, and then every time we've seen her stop, for some reason, we're like, what's going on? But now we know it's this radio static. It's part of this reveal that we're getting throughout. So now, she enters back into the room where she talked to Sylvia. She gets this chill how she got the first time. And then she's contacted by Sylvia again. Now we're going into this super close-up. It, it's getting... It goes blurry for a bit, and as she's reconnecting, it goes from super blurry and shaky and shaky to all of a sudden, when she gets that connection fully with, Sil fully with Sylvia again and remembers everything, we get this nice, focused, crisp-looking screen. And it's a really nice way of telling that there's this full reconnection again with visuals. The way that she helps to reconnect with Emily is Sylvia singing this song. And Emily's like, I know this song from somewhere. And Sylvia's like, you should, you taught it to me. This was the way that we could, it was a way to help like summon me or bring me about because it would remind Emily of her mother. But Emily hates her mom. So it brings up bad memories that pull her into, into being able to reconnect instead of good memories, which I guess is usually what um, Sylvia would, would utilize in order to, to trigger somebody into reconnecting. We learn that, and this is really messed up too, Emily was left in this house, she says, to die. Her father, who she was close with, like, before we even get to that, Emily asks about leaving the house. She's like, well, what if I just, you know, you talk about taking me to the other side, but what if I just left the house? What if I just don't come back? Can, can, I, can I just live as a ghost in the world? And Sylvia's like, well, I've never had a ghost ask me that. I don't, I don't know. And Emily's like, fine, you know what? Let's close off. I'm going to go outside. I'm going to find out what this is. And Sylvia's like, I don't, I don't really know if this is a good idea. And Emily's like, no, you know, I think this is a good idea. So Emily this time is actually going to pass through Sylvia. She's going to close off with her. And this time Emily's like, I'm going to come to you. Where are you? And Sylvia's like, I'm on the rug. So Emily gets close to the rug. She's hesitant, you know, but she takes a step. And right then, it's so like she falls to the floor, and it's almost like a version of her passes backward as like a viewer. And this does happen throughout the film, is like she's able to kind of see all of her memories and all of these things that have happened to her. Um, but she falls to the ground, and everything it flashes to the outdoors. It flashes to her past. We get images of a church, a funeral, the countryside. So we go into Emily's past a little further and we start hearing about electricity. 
and we realize it's a doctor talking to her about electroshock therapy. And then we get this weird slow-mo montage and someone getting stabbed. Now, Emily comes out of this strange state and, and she talks about how she can breathe now. And she feels awake and conscious for the first time, I guess, since, well, then she can remember. And she also remembers her death. And Sylvia says, oh, I know, I know you remember your death. But Emily says, no, I, I can't forget it now because the pain is too strong. So it's deeper than it's ever been now. She can really, she's connecting in with it. She starts to talk about her childhood, how her mother said that she was, well, that she had this demon inside of her as this child and needed to be exercised. Emily would black out for like 10 minutes at a time. And during these blackouts, she would inflict harm on herself or on others. She was found choking her little sister at one point. Now, her father loved her and, and would have done anything to protect her, but her mother hated her and thought that she was just pure evil. And when her father died, mother didn't see a reason to stick around anymore, so she took the sister and left. Just straight up left Emily in this house alone to die. And Sylvia says that, you know, she sympathizes because she knows what it was like to be abandoned uh, as a child. Because she was left alone in the woods when she was a kid. And her parents just left. So, we've hit this interesting point. Because she asked Sylvia, like, alright, well I've passed through you, like, what's going on? She's like, well usually that's it. Usually, you know, this, uh, the spirit's able to move on. I don't understand what's going on. There's no light. There's nothing for her to go to. Something, something's very different this time around. So Emily says, well, I can try and leave the room, right? You know, because I've passed through. I shouldn't forget anything. And she does. And she doesn't forget. But she wants to leave the house. And Sylvia says, I don't really know about that. I've never... As I've said, I've never done that before, but Emily insists, and she's, she's going to do it. She's like, you know what, I'm, I'm just going to do this. She goes to the door, and it's a glass door, opaque glass, and you see this yellow light shining through, and you can hear birds chirping. You hear the outdoors. You hear the world. Emily opens the door, and it is a black void of nothingness. There's nothing outside. Vast and empty and barren. And she opens her mouth to scream. And nothing comes out. Until we're on the other side of the door with her again and we can hear that scream. Then she slams the door shut. But things are different now. You know, she can see all of these memories, these, these imprints of herself going through the motions. Everything that she did, now she can see. And there's various versions of her moving around. And what's interesting with this is that it's done with stand-ins, it's done on camera, it makes it look real. It's all about camera trickery during these moments. And that's also what makes this stand out due to the budget. Like, you weren't doing a ton of crazy green screen effects, you were trying to keep it in camera as much as you possibly could. And it really helped sell that. Now, she's watching all these other versions of herself. She's in the bedroom, 
And she turns and she looks and she sees that version of herself that had the mop. And she waves her hand in front of her other self and the impression straight up sees her. It looks, it has seen her. Somehow, somehow she's haunted herself in this weird... It's a strange paradox that has happened. She swears that she has seen herself during this moment, but that hadn't happened until now. So it's like, it gets really weird, and it's this total, like, mindfuck, but it's great. Like, it's really, that's where I'm kind of like, ooh, this film just threw me kind of for a loop. And she keeps saying that she was, like, she's back, she keeps saying she was murdered over and over again, and Sylvia's like, no, no, that didn't happen, you weren't. You weren't murdered by some man who came in and killed you. Because the way it was described is that Emily's like, he had these like cavernous eyes and he was like this monster and he just wasn't, wasn't re, you know, he didn't seem real and just stabbed her over and over and over. Sylvia's like, that didn't happen. And Emily doesn't understand. And Sylvia says, well, I dug, I dug into your file, did a little research, and I found out that when you were a child, you were diagnosed with a dissociative identity disorder. So she had multiple personalities. And she would become someone else during those 10-minute episodes. She would become this other violent individual. And it turns out she wasn't killed by a man who came in. She killed herself. Now, this causes a huge issue. First off, she killed herself. But she closed off with Sylvia, right? Now, since there was another personality... And that didn't close off with Sylvia. We've kind of created a little bit of a paradox situation. Now that personality also has to close off with Sylvia in order to have everyone kind of go into the light type situation. This is where it can be taken in multiple different ways. It could be taken as she actually did have this other personality living inside of her, or she may have been possessed by a demon at a very young age that never got out of her, and it would take over at times. We can go into demonic possession, really, if we want to with that, because the words demon, it's brought up multiple times. Now, granted, mental health issues were seen as, you know, witchcraft or, or demons, uh, possession type stuff back in the day when people didn't understand science and they didn't understand psychology and psychiatry and and you know how the brain works which we still fully don't even understand so emily realizes that she's just now realizing she actually had this demon inside her that would take over this other personality but now that's been released inside the house as well you know, it's um, it's also there. She's heard it, and throughout, you know, she you can tell that she's hearing stuff throughout the film because she's looking in different areas, and there are these stairs that go up, I guess, to the attic. We or later reveal they do go to the attic. But she's always been looking up them up them like there's something up there. She sees something, but it always cuts away before we can she explores or anything like that. So Sylvia says, in order to close this off, I need that other half. I need that monster. And Emily hasn't seen this other half, this other monster, because it's who she turns into, you know, or this thing that lives inside of her. Now, is it a real demon? Is it a figurative split personality? We don't fully know. But anyway, either way, this thing is in there with her. 
Now, Emily is afraid of the attic um, due to threats of her mom, from her mom as a child. She would say, I guess she'd lock her in the attic or something horrible. But she decides she's going to conquer her fear, and she climbs up to the top of the stairs, and she opens it up, and she looks inside. Now, we get this cool imagery of the attic. We get the light pouring through. But then this darkness starts moving in and taking over. And she gets hit with this wave of emotion, and she just has to leave. She goes downstairs, and she's like, Sylvia, Sylvia, I got hit with this wave of emotion. I went up there, and she's trying to explain everything to her, but Sylvia's not there anymore. She goes back over to where the attic is. She's looking up at those stairs, and we get these feet that just pop down from the attic and start walking down. And it's this man-ish, I guess. It's this blue, naked man with pitch black pits for eyes. It's just these cavernous voids. And he has this just monstrous scream, this, this heinous scream as he's coming down after her. He's like chasing after her and she escapes into the bathroom. She yells, stop at him. She, you know, she slams the door shut and it explains to her. It starts to talk to her and it's explaining why it's here and how it came to her. It, it, you know, it lived in her its entire life trying to escape. All it wanted was to get out and stop living in this prison. And when it was finally free, it just got put into another prison. And its freedom isn't freedom. So it was this other, I guess, personality being like soul living inside of her that in order to escape during her real life forced her to kill herself, but then just ended up in another prison and has now just been let out and wants to just be free and be released and says that it's the victim in all of this, but it still is trying to destroy her. And at that point, it breaks through the door, it strangles her, she looks up and her eyes are white. The day starts again. We start seeing every time the demon took a hold of her and abused her. We see her when she's cooking in the morning and she places her hand, like she hears the, the sound of the static on the radio. She pushes her hand into the hot frying pan, burns her hand. In the morning when she wakes up, you can see it take over. She's slapping herself in the face. We go to her after she had stabbed her hand. She's looking in the mirror. She says, oh God. And then it takes over and slams her head into the mirror. Then it goes back again and shows her actually stabbing herself in the hand once it's taken over. We see the knife go in. Then it cuts back, or then it goes into her in the bathroom, back in the mirror, and he appears and it's like, your dad is dead. Boom. We cut back to the bathroom where she was being strangled. She slides out underneath and escapes. He's chasing her with a knife and then disappears. She turns around doesn't see him. She ends up back in the main room, the room where she died and it attacks her and she relives her death being stabbed over and over and everything now is starting to go gray. Everything is starting to fade out of this. All the color is just draining. The death is on repeat and now she's watching it. She's not even the one experiencing it anymore. She is watching it because it's now an event that has happened. Well, it is an event that's happened, but she's able to watch those events over and over like how she was able to once she had that, you know, 
connection or, or with uh, with Sylvia and was able to kind of break through. And she can see all of those things. So she's just watching all of this happen. She's trying to contact Sylvia still, but then all of a sudden she hears like this this chanting and, and Sylvia's saying all this stuff about this, the demon needs to, to go. And she's like saying all of this stuff, trying to get the demon out. And you realize that it's an exorcism. She has now decided to exorcise the house because Emily, because of basically what she found out and how she couldn't get Emily out normally. And then because Emily went upstairs and released this other part of her up into the attic, it's now, I guess, fully uh, haunting the house. We don't know what's going on during this. We see her getting stabbed over and over and over, and all of a sudden when the color's draining out, you're thinking, okay, well, what's happening in the house with this family and the medium? Is it all getting really violent there? Are things lashing out? Is it like poltergeist? And now they're just, you know, trying to get this demonic presence out? The death is on repeat. It's over and over. And Emily's like just backed into the corner freaking out. And then the demon is out of itself and it's out of body experience watching it kill her at first. But then you see from its perspective, it just sees her stabbing herself in the stomach over and over and over and over and over. And it freaks out. And those pits go from being pitch black to turning back into human eyes. And it's scared. And it's terrified of what is happening right now because in this now monochrome-like world, darkness is starting to pull in or just surround and take over the room. That void, that vacuous void that was out the front door, that loomed that she was just so terrified of, that presence is now taking over the entire room. It's turning into nothingness. They're being exorcised from the house. She says over and over, This house is for the living, not the dead. Seek the light. Go into the light where you belong. Over and over and over. Everything starts moving backwards. Every, all of the visions and all of these little echoes of her start moving backwards like it's all just being taken away and stripped away and reversed. And the demon is, is, as he's freaking out, you know, he's now a man and he's just cowering as, as this darkness is engulfing. And Emily is still the, the ghost other version of Emily, like this phantom version, this remnant is just stabbing herself over and over and over. And the real Emily, as darkness is surrounding her, she keeps saying, everything will be fine. Everything will be fine. I am a ghost. I am a ghost. I am a ghost. I am a ghost. And this darkness takes over. End movie. I think it's awesome. I think it totally works. Like, to me, that's super effective. That's how you can take something that's a very simple story, layer the hell out of it, and, and create something that just sticks with you. At least for me. Now, some people will see this and be like, dude, that, no, it, it, to me, that was not that movie that I saw. What I saw was something that took forever and was boring and tedious. But I, I, I've seen this movie like five times now because the first time, look, I'll say it took a while. When you see the repetition in the beginning and you realize you're getting into a slow burn, it took me a bit to actually watch it the whole way through the first time I was going to see it. And this was years ago. But when I did get through that full watch, it, it really <clears throat> just struck a chord with me. I really enjoyed what I saw. I really appreciated the efforts put together by this filmmaker and the fact that it was beyond micro-budget. This is essentially a no-budget film. It is so amazing that this was even put together. 
I would like to see H.P. Mendoza do more. Uh, I know he's made one more film after this, or full feature, that came out about a year or two ago. He needs to be doing a ton more, because this is... This is fantastic, and the, especially when it comes down to horror or, or you know, genre films, like, I want to see more from this director, you know? I want to know, I want to see the next story that he has that he wants to tell. This was, I over, I'm probably overhyping it. People are probably, you know, you guys have probably seen it and like, Rob, you were way, man, you like this way too much. I do. I'm totally okay with that. This is a film that if you are trying to make a film and you don't have a budget, this is the movie to watch. If you have no, this is the best movie to watch for no budget filmmaking. It's so much style, so much style, so much creativity put into there to give a film that is as effective as it is, that has great camera work, great editing, great lighting, great sound. Everything in this just to me comes together in, in a perfect storm. You could say the worst thing in this is are the performances, but I still think Anna Ishida is, she gives a, a breakout performance, I think, in this, and I would like to see her in more too because I looked her up on IMDb and it doesn't look like she's done a lot as far as film goes. And I think that that's, that's, she needs to be doing more film. That's it. Cast her and stuff, people. Anyway, that's going to do it for us this week on Oh the Horror. Um, you can find us anywhere, you know, that you download your podcasts. Please, you know, like, share, subscribe, all that type of stuff. It'll give alerts to when you're, you know, getting a new podcast or when I'm dropping episodes for that stuff. You can find me on uh, Instagram at Holmes Invasion. You can find the show on, you can find Oh the Horror on Facebook at Oh the Horror Cast. And then pretty much, I guess all my social media goes through Holmes Invasion, so you can find any of the other stuff through there. Anyway, that'll do it for us this week. Until next time, I'm Rob Holmes, and this has been Oh the Horror. Time to keep your appointment with the Wicker Man. And there's no more room in hell. The dead. <laughs>